In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So if you're listening, watching this sermon, you're not on Facebook. You know that Facebook has crashed, but it's not our internet, and it's not your internet. I blame the year 2020. They've taken down Facebook. We can't win. Thank God for God's grace. Maybe that's the lesson for all, and I should say amen and end it, and we'll go to singing and, and hearing prayers. But then maybe you're tuned in to hear a little deeper message of God's love. I, um, in that same vein, at 10 o'clock on Thursday, we sent out an announcement about our very thoughtful plan about how we were returning to outdoor worship for 34 people, including the clergy and three ushers. It may not surprise you that we've been working on this plan for a solid three weeks, getting the feedback from our task force. We put all these steps in place. We've been thinking about this for a while. We send out an email, push send. And then 22 hours later, the bishop sends an email saying, guys, you can think about how to return to in-person worship in your building. We can't get ahead of this. But it's, it's a part of something much larger that is this constant question, what are we missing? What are we missing from worship? And in that email from the bishop, there's, there, there seemed to be this real longing for people to gather again, to hear music in person, and to receive the Eucharist. Even us at St. Stephen's have been wrestling with that same, how do we distribute communion? And so we've put into practice this lay distribution of the Eucharist, feeling like if we can just administer the sacrament, we can have that touch of humanity and divinity commingled together that our lives will be enriched and we can know that all shall be well. But it hit me this week. I think there's something else maybe even more important than we've been missing. Not the Eucharist. Not the singing. I was struck, um, someone shared with me a reflection this week uh, by John Pavlovich, who, who was writing about how in this kind of political time that he thought that the, the thing that we haven't named is the grief around the loss of relationships that we are currently watching unfold. That no matter how many times we've broken bread or done mission trips or and had people over for slumber parties, the, the, the things that people hold, whether it's the things they're sharing on Facebook or what they're saying or the positions they're taking, are causing such a fracture in our relationships that not even November 4th will change that, that we're going to experience this for years to come. And it struck me that maybe the most profound thing that we are missing is looking someone in the eyes 
someone who has offended us or we have offended, someone we disagree with, and extending our hands and saying, peace be with you. Because the great mystery of church is that for 2,000 years, people have stood next to each other and been wrapped up in the body of Christ. And even though the, the practice of the peace reemerged in the last 40 years, that ability to look at someone and love them and say, peace be with you, offers this profound reconciliation that we are missing. Because it's interesting, when I talk to my brother-in-law and my neighbors that share different opinions than me, and I'm in person with them or on the phone, (laughs) we're not angry at each other. We listen and we love and we can get along. But when we're isolated... We find ourselves in these echo chambers and the anger builds, the resentment builds. I keep wrestling with this idea that if the greatest cost of isolation is it just fuels our own ideology wherever that is, that's the cost of isolation. And while we need to be physically separate for a little while longer, how do we work to combat the cost of that isolation? I was struck in the the story that we hear this morning from the Old Testament. So Joseph is the 11th son of Jacob, and we heard about Jacob a couple weeks ago when Susan preached And she was sharing how Jacob wrestles with God and becomes, Israel is Jacob's new name, so God's favored one. And so this promise for for Jacob to, to become the kind of father of the Israel people. And he has 12 sons and a daughter by four different women. Can you imagine how complicated that family would be? So it wouldn't surprise you that there is a lot of conflict. And Jacob has a little bit of favor for for Joseph and gives him this beautiful technicolor dream coat, a coat of many colors. And the boys are out one day, and I think it's significant that they leave their father. Maybe a metaphor for being alone. They leave their father, they leave the nurture of their household, and they're out tending their flock. And a plan is hatched to get rid of the beloved child. Reuben, the only moderately rational one of them all, is like, well, maybe we don't need to kill him. Let's just throw him in a pit. 
So they throw him in a pit, and then they realize, wait a second, there's a traveling caravan from Egypt. Maybe we can make a little money. We'll sell him to be a slave. So Joseph ends up in Egypt. Many years pass. There's a lot of wonderful stories, and, and, and Joseph rises to power. And the years are good, and they are rich. The economy is booming. And Joseph helps the Egyptians store and save. And then a famine comes across the land. And it drives Jacob's family to be in search for health and well-being. And where we arrive at the story today, Joseph's brothers have shown up for the very first time. That's not for the very first time. They have come to get grain and food. And they come face to face with Joseph. And he looks at them. And the very people that wanted to kill him, that wanted to sell him into slavery. He looks at them and says, peace be with you. And here's the even stranger thing. He doesn't even just forgive them. He doesn't just forgive them. He restores them to fullness of life. He restores them to fullness of life. Now you might be going, well, this is just a story in the Bible. It's not the first time the very first two children in the Bible, Cain and Abel, they can't even get along, so one murders the other. It's a motif. We humans are flawed. Without God's goodness, without looking inwardly, we are destructive. the nature of the one that we put our trust in is to forgive, is to restore, is to renew. Maybe after September 6th, a few of us will gather in a building. Maybe next weekend, a few of us will gather outside. It's going to be a while until the church is back to what it was on March 9th or March 2nd. But we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity just like Joseph to instead of echoing the voice of the chambers that we find ourselves in, 
to begin to find ways of looking in the eyes of those people that we love or once loved. And to offer peace. To be people that follow the love of God. We're called to be people that want to restore others to the fullness of life. So be vigilant, be kind, be compassionate, and may the peace of the Lord be always with you.